With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Trinan's An Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, John Castillo, and I believe today we have special guest Dan Rubin from BC Interruption. That is correct. You can't tell, but I'm pointing at myself as if I am Rob Van Dam. Ah. Well, pointing at yourself on the radio is a skill I have not yet mastered, Dan, so I appreciate your effort. <laughs> hey, you know, throw be here. We're thrilled to have you. I know uh, Dan Lyons is not yet here, but that said, we can kind of uh, we can kind of just start uh, tossing some things around. So uh, we're kind of kind of nowhere near football season, but at the same time, we are uh, we're we're kind of coming up quickly or as quickly as we can. We're we're under the hundred days mark now, which uh, which I think is always kind of a cause for celebration. Um, you know, the preview magazines are coming out. Everybody seems to be at least resigned to the fact that we are, you know, very well through um, what is sports' longest off-season, um, college football. Um, and BC has really been, um, you know, dealing with a lot of change within the program these last couple of years, but, you know, despite the fact that uh, Steve Adagio ushered in a lot of wins last year, and I think a return to form for the Eagles, um, do you see this year as, as kind of maybe a step backwards before another step forward? Well, it's, it, it's weird. We're, when we look at, at the BC kind of the, the landscape of what Steve Adazio brought to the program, he really overachieved last year. I mean, the expectations were so low on that team that, you know, we were just hoping for a four-win season and be competitive and you know, just just don't lose double digits again. And then to go to a bowl game, have a Heisman Trophy finalist was something that was completely out of the water. So combine, combining the, the expectations being leveled last year, exceeding them, you know, it, this year is going to be a lot of the same, which is we're not really sure what we're going to get. There's a lot of roster turnover. You're really going to see some of the new guys who are coming in start to filter through kind of the, the dad's guys and, and see them. So, we're not really sure what to expect. Um, if there's going to be a step back versus a step forward versus a, a step kind of treading water, but you know it's exciting and and that's something that I guess is a step forward when you think about where the program was a couple of years ago and the fact that there wasn't a, we weren't even walking under Frank Spaziani. That now the the fact that we can say if this is a step forward or a step back type of year is uh, the excitement around it. We we know that. 
any other ordinary year, this would be a step back, losing the, the amount of offense that they lost. But uh, Steve Adazio is kind of the guy that, that everyone in Daz we trust is, is kind of the mantra that we're that we're starting to take on. So I guess uh, in that in that vein, uh, somebody that uh, Adazio is directly responsible in bringing to Boston College. Um, how do you guys feel about Tyler Murphy? Um, I know he he didn't never necessarily uh, panned out as you know Florida savior at the quarterback position, uh, but for you guys, do you see this? Do you see him as really being able to have, um, you know, one really nice um, kind of graduate transfer year uh, for you guys before potentially, you know, angling himself for the draft? Or, or do you see this as kind of a gamble that might um, that might end up giving way to uh, one of the other quarterbacks on the roster before season's end? Well, the good, the good news for uh, for Tyler Murphy is that this is this is really a, a no lose situation for both guys. He's guaranteed to transfer in and be the starter for Boston College. Uh, there's not really a situation where there's anybody left after Chase Redding. Uh, Josh Bordner is the only quarterback on the roster that had any type of experience besides Redding, and Bordner is actually becoming a wide receiver this year. So. It's Murphy's job. I have a feeling that anytime you have a guy come in from a place like Florida, it's really his job to lose over all the freshmen. Um, and really, unless he goes out and throws for you know six or seven interceptions in a game, I wouldn't necessarily see uh, Adazio pulling the pulling the hook on him. Uh, that said, you know you're only getting one year out of Tyler Murphy. You're, you can't look at him as being anything but a bridge and a stopgap for any of the, the recruits who are coming in, guys like Darius Wade, who you expect a red shirt and, and not burn the red shirt, um, guys like that. You, you just look at them and you say, you know, you have to be able to, to have Tyler Murphy being the guy. And, uh, you know, it's only for a year, and, and you hope that he doesn't regress, and you hope that he, he picks up the offense, which is going to be the same offense he had at Florida for the most part, and you hope that there's a, enough around him that he's – that he at least gives you enough enough wins to get into a bowl game, and then you move on after him. Uh, it, it's kind of the, the perfect marriage. We don't need a quarterback after this year, hopefully, and he doesn't need a team after this year. So it uh, it hopefully works out well. No, I mean, and I think that's definitely a really good way to look at it. I know for you know, for Syracuse fans, uh, and there probably will be plenty of listening, since it is a podcast hosted on our, our network. Um, <laughs> I know that we. Uh, we kind of, you know, last year uh, put a lot of trust into Drew Allen, who, you know, hadn't really taken uh, many collegiate snaps um, and didn't have any connections to the program um, other than being sold on uh, transferring in and competing for the starting job, uh, a job that he was kind of handed. Uh, and then the same thing happened uh, both at the beginning of Schaefer's uh, tenure with that move as well as the beginning of uh, Doug Marone's tenure uh, several years back. Uh, when Greg Paulus came in to kind of uh, grab the starting job that was assumed to be Ryan Massive's. Um, but this, to me, at least seems like a much different situation. I know in the past we've kind of dealt with players that have really either not, in Paulus's case, not even played football at the collegiate level. Um, and in the case of Allen, really uh, you know, went from very highly touted recruit to really not playing much. And Oklahoma fans even seem to tell us that you know, he's the real deal, and he's, and he's going to do well for you guys. Um, but, but Murphy seems like a, a different um, a different breed, and I think the fact that he's a dual threat um, 
definitely, definitely helps with um, the ACC's kind of stress toward, you know, real, real speed at every position. I mean, we're not, you know, at, at SEC levels just yet, uh, but at the same time, uh, I mean, you can tell me, um, as someone who's probably been, probably watched a lot more ACC football over the last, you know, few years at least, um, if you think that Murphy kind of helps you guys play into um, an overall conference trend or not. Well, I think, I think the key is that if you look across college football, everybody's trying to get faster, and everybody's got the dual-threat quarterback and the the era of the pocket-bound quarterback, the guy who can gun it down the field and stand in there and play the vertical passing game only, doesn't, doesn't really exist as much anymore. And I think all across the board in college football, you, you see the trend towards the dual threat, the guy who can pull it down and be athletic and, and threaten a defense and stress in the other way to be able to get guys fading back and then open up the middle of the field. Boston College has never had that. Uh, if you go back even beginning of the 2000s and you go back even when Matt Hasselbeck was a quarterback, you've never had a guy who could really stretch the field with his legs. And I mean, we remember back when Michael Vick was running all over all on Knight Stadium with Virginia Tech. And you, know, you go back to those type of quarterbacks who were ahead of their time. It just didn't exist at D.C. You had the two Hasselbeck brothers, you had Brian St. Pierre, and you had Quentin Porter, from, who was a product of Maine. He was a big guy with a cannon on him. And Matt Ryan, obviously, he could scramble, but he was never taking off upfield. And then after Matt Ryan, you had a, a bunch of guys who were not Matt Ryan, the Chris world and guys like that. When you look back at Chase Reddick, who's been there for the last four years and graduated and is now off doing his thing, you look at guys who just couldn't throw the ball, who, who couldn't run the ball. And Reddick was not a guy who was ever taking off. He, he stood in the pocket like if he tried had a scramble, he you know he had the ability to do it. Uh, obviously, you guys saw it up at Syracuse what happened when if he gave Reddick the opportunity to run, but that was not his job. You bring in a guy like Murphy, and you're a modern-day coach, and you're looking at the modern-day ACC, and you're looking at the modern-day college football. You want a guy who can make receivers get open with the threat of running. And when you think of Florida and you think of a quarterback with Chris Leak and Tim Tebow and, and now Tyler Murphy, you think of guys who, who get attached to that brand. They're guys who can run and can make things happen with their legs. It's something that we're really excited for because we've never had it. And uh, given the history of, of Boston College's, uh, you know, their, their lack of running quarterback and, and the downfield game and the fact they graduated so much, you know, it's one of those things. Let's see what he can do with this wide receiving core and see if he can make things happen with his legs. Worst case, they want to blitz from the outside. We want to see him go running up the middle. It's something that we've never seen before. Uh, that definitely makes sense. I do appreciate the extra insight because I think, you know, that's something that, um, at least with the purpose of this when we did this last year, is kind of to get to know um, all these programs. Uh, and this year, I think it's now kind of seeing, you know, where they've come since we last saw them on the field. Also wanted to say hi to Dan Lyons, who's now on the line with us. Hello, everyone. Notice that some Echo has also joined us, which I am not a big fan of, but... We'll trudge on. For some reason, these things kind of disappear after a few minutes. Sorry if that's my so, uh, answer, everyone. But. Lame. <laughs> anyway, uh, Dan Lyons. Dan Rubin was just telling us how, uh, how you know, Murphy fits into 
the VC office, it kind of, you know, helps DC transition a bit um, into, you know, a different kind of speed-focused offense that does deal with a dual threat. Um, now, we were obviously just mentioning that despite not being a dual threat, Chase Reddick somehow lit us up on the ground, at least for the first, well, early part of um, last year's kind of rivalry game. So, uh, Dan, to Lions, to you, um, do you see the quarterback position really deciding D.C.'s fate this year, or, or do you see it, it maybe coming down to, you know, once again, kind of the running game? Um, you know, no Andre Williams, sure, but definitely um, still plenty of pieces there to, to run the ball and run it quite a bit. Um, obviously, the quarterback is going to always be the main factor, um, and Murphy has a, has a nice pedigree, at least as a prospect, if not a proven player. Um, and as, as a Syracuse fan, we saw what happened when we kind of took the reins off uh, Thrill Hunt at the end of last year and let him run around and do his thing. Uh, when you have a when you simplify the playbook and you bring in these quarterbacks and try to have them run these spread systems, having a guy who can take off at any time always adds that extra dimension that a defense has to account for. Um, even if and often teams struggle, as we saw uh, both BC and Minnesota, especially at the end when we really let Hunt go. Um, so I, I don't know too much about Murphy aside from I remember when he was a recruit, um, and he's a talented player from, from, you know, my part of the world here. But, uh, I think that on paper, um, it does probably make BC a little more interesting and exciting than they would have been if they had another Reddit type player out there. Um, but either way, I think having seen Adazio coach teams both at Boston College and at Temple, um, their bread and butter is most likely going to be the run game. Um, and while they might not have an Andre Williams type back, I know they, you know, BC always has a strong offensive line and, and usually has a decent stable of running backs. So I'm sure they'll be able to run the ball pretty well. But if Murphy can really come out and, and be a, a solid player, at least to start off, you know, they might be able to replicate a lot of the, the success they had last year. Just, well, be, either way, it'll be a different looking team. By that, and then uh, Dan Rubin, I guess along the same vein, you know, who who do you see as the as the main force in the backfield um, in terms of running the ball? I guess in in terms, uh, you know, Dazio, who's the biggest dude? <laughs> well, that's a good question because they, they don't again they don't have a whole lot coming back uh, in terms of running backs either. You know, Andre Williams being a uh, being a, one of those once in a lifetime running backs that you that you only see so often. Uh, you know, once exactly that once in a lifetime, you only see him so often. In general, a guy who can pound the ball for twenty five times a game and it you know chug out three hundred yards against Army and break off a run here and just pound in. And that's that's just what he does. It, it makes it so different. Uh, the big guy who's probably going to be the, the main back is Tyler Rouse. He's really the only guy who's returning. And, you know, uh, Miles Willis is another name. We saw him last year a couple times. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, not Miles Willis. I think it was Rouse that we saw last year. Miles Willis. Um, I think we also saw him a little bit last year, but, you know, in square. And uh, when you think of some of the guys, the guy who moving forward, you're going to see guys like Travis Elfon, Sherman Alston, who are freshmen. So you know you're going to have a deep stable of running backs. 
um, it's just a matter of who takes over the role and if you want to become a guy who has quickness, who can run, who's smaller, or a guy who's going to be a bruiser. And, again, that's that's where we come back to this year, that we don't really know what we're going to get out of BC. We don't know who's going to be the guy who steps forward, uh, simply because of all those question marks back and all those question marks up front for the, for the uh, offensive backfield. And in the same vein, I guess, do you think that um, do you think that you guys felt very much the same way about about Andre Williams last year, or do you think that the returns you've gotten out of him were were much more substantial to that point? But I mean, obviously, he didn't expect a two thousand yard season or close to it. Well, it's funny that I, there was no way to determine Andre Williams to be that type of guy coming out of BC this last year. Uh, you know, if you, if you look back over the over the entire Spaz era, there were a bunch of guys who were who were great, and then they just fell off the map. And Andre was actually one of them. Um, he had a decent start to his career. He looked like he was going to be good. Uh, when you look back over his history, he was, you know, a, a guy who was built to be, he was a good, deceptively fast runner, but was physical, built like a truck, and was smart. Um, so he was a guy who, you know, here. we were expecting good things from him, but I don't think we were expecting what we got him. And then at the same token, you look at the other guys who they had over the years, guys like Bruce Finch and guys like Montel Harris, and they were always supposed to be, you know, the next best thing. And I think actually Montel had the, uh, the most career rushing yards or something before he transferred to the Temple. I don't remember that off the top of my head. And you get those guys who were supposed to be really great, and they were supposed to have this great long career, and then they ran into the – doghouse or fell off the map or got gobbled up by the thing, the turf monster, whatever you want to call it. And then out of nowhere comes Andre Williams, and Williams just plows through everybody. So whether it was a question of just getting the right coach or actually having talent, uh, it was really the right combination that nobody saw coming last year. Oh, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, Quick side note. Um, I'm trying to figure out the issue with the feedback at the same time. If everyone wants to just mute when they're not talking, that way we can maybe try to narrow it down. Did that work? Seems like it. I don't hear the, I don't hear the uh, echo. So that's plus. Um, anyway, so I, I guess, I mean, that definitely makes sense. I, I do believe that, that Harris was the leader um, before he left. And then I, I think Williams surpassed him. Uh, I mean, to me, watching uh, Williams last year was just kind of, you know, shocking. As someone who at least had caught enough DC to know that, that he was effective, but, to, I mean, again, never, ever expected this. Um, so I guess moving right along with, you know, the offense, um, you know, the offensive line has, has kind of been – at one point was a big strength of D.C., and now it's kind of, um, I mean, I think it's kind of given away the linebacker's position. Uh, Dan Rubin, do you think that, that offensive line can really um, can kind of lead the way and maybe even mitigate some of the concerns about inexperience in the backfield? I think so. 
I think the uh, I think the offensive line really had a big hand in last year's revival. I think the uh, the they, they kind of took themselves upon themselves to to really say, you know, if Andre Williams has all these stats, it's because we're doing something right. And it, the main cause of that was because they completely changed the standard all the way back in spring practice. Um, Frank Spaziani really wanted this zone blocking scheme to work and. It was a different zone blocking scheme than anything anybody had really seen at Boston College in the years prior. I know that, you know, if you go back again into the into the mid to late 2000s, they had a little bit of a zone blocking scheme, but you know they always were big daddies, big nasties who like to plow straight ahead. Spaz came in and really put in this kind of different zone where there was a lot of pole blocks and maybe the guard was blocking to the outside and the tackle was blocking inside. And if you got caught against the defenses, they ran through the holes. And so your running game was toast. Your quarterback was running all over the planet. Last year, uh, Dazio comes in and completely said, we're going to ram it down everybody's throat. So he said, you know, we're going to take the ball and we're going to show you nine guys in the box or you're going to show us nine guys in the box, and we're not going to care. We're going to line up double tight end, and we're going to run it right at you. And occasionally put an extra lineman in the backfield. He'd take a tackle, put him in as an eighth back, and say, go ahead, run behind him. I think that was really a huge deal in getting the attitude and the swagger back to the offensive line that had been lost you know, by the, the cute zone blocking schemes. Uh, you know, They were just straight-up pass protection. They were straight down your throat run, run blocking. And I think when you look at the team this year and the need to continue that power running game or even for a spread offense if you choose to change it up or anything like that, it really predicates itself on having a bunch of guys up front who are just willing to smash somebody in the head. And, uh, you know, they lose some pieces on that. They lose both tackles, uh, which maybe helps in, in getting a little bit more of a speed running game or a speed spread game. Because now you're going to have a little more experience on the outside. All the experience is going to be inside. You're going to have to, you know, try to have a quarterback step up between those as the tackle box kind of falls apart and run up the, excuse me, run up behind the dot. So it, it it was very different, and it kind of got back to the way things were. In a way, though, they're still not where they probably should be with the whole O line. You, you know, the the guys work well as a unit. And some of them look great individually. I, Matt Patchen comes to mind where, you know, but none of them got drafted, and none of them were, were really deep draft prospects, whereas in the old days, you looked at the offensive line, and if you took any one of those five guys, they were they were going to be an offensive lineman for you for six or seven years. You had guys who became career offensive linemen in the NFL, guys like Damian Woody, Tom Nalen, who if you go back far enough, and, you know, that, that whole attitude – came back last year. Now, is it where they want to be? No. Is it where they should be? Definitely not. But it's definitely not where they were. And I think that's going to be a key moving forward. And again, we're going to come back to, to what I, I feel like I sound like a broken record. Can't wait to see what they kind of dial up this year. You lose your two tackles. You get your, your interior line back. You're not, you know you're not changing the scheme, but how does it change based off of the guys who are around it? All right, and, uh, Dan Lyons, agree, disagree? No, we've uh trying to get you worked in. I know O-line is uh, your specialty in particular. Uh, yeah, I'd largely agree. Um, 
I think that last year kind of proved that uh, BC still has their O-line magic working. Obviously, that's probably the position that they're best known for over the course of the last couple uh, eras of coaches they've had. But, you know, with a runner like Williams was, he was still largely a north-south runner, and you're not going to be able to put up the numbers he did without having a stout O-line. Off the top of my head, I don't know how much of that line they return, but uh, I assume that they still have a couple pieces in place. And, you know, as I said before, obviously Adazio knows what he's doing with the position. I believe he um, came up as an O-line coach himself uh, or as a background there. So I I would be fairly confident that um, the the steam would at least fit what BC has. And, uh, you know, when they come or when we head to to Boston this year, I'd imagine that that's what we'll see most of even if unless Murphy you know comes and breaks on the scene and is just throwing the ball all over the place but either way I think that the running game is probably going to be what we you know what we at least expect out of a Boston College team if not as prolific as last year and then I guess Dan Rubin what um I know last year, uh, I felt that SU and BC were fairly evenly matched. I think, uh, for the most part, a lot of us felt that way uh, going into the game. Just uh, very solid in the trenches, uh, great running teams with, you know, come-and-go ability to pass the ball and and sound defenses. Um, I I guess at least on the offensive side of the ball, how do you feel that Boston College matches up with Syracuse this season? even though I know we're still, you know, several months out and, and way, way out from when SU and BC actually line up against one another. Well, I grew up with Diamond Ferry, so I am never going to say a BC offense is going to light up a Syracuse defense ever after that one game that always seems to that always seems to come up in conversation every time Boston College and Syracuse play each other. I grew up literally about three or four miles from them, and my barber still tell, still tell, tells me all the time. He was like, "Hey, remember remember when Diamond Ferry won the Grey Cup? Uh, you know, up in the CFL." And I say, "Yeah, I do. Thanks a lot." So I'm never going to say that a BC offense is going to be able to, uh, to you know come right up the right out and, and really play and blow out a Syracuse defense. I don't ever see that happening. I feel like this is uh, you know teams that. Even though the, the modern history hasn't really been there, I still think there's something about playing Syracuse that they, for whatever reason, that defense always manages to take a well-oiled BC offense and, and just shut it down. Um, whether or not it's points, whether or not it's big moments, I always see Syracuse playing them hard. It's just it, it's it's something about it. I, I don't know what it is. Um, that said, you know I. I would like to think that BC coming off of last year and coming off of everything that um, that they went through as a team, the fact that they reboot this year with a new quarterback, new starting running back, new wide receivers, you know, new starting tackles, even though one's a transfer, uh, which I think actually is a transfer from Florida, uh, Ian Silverman, and, and you look at some of the guys who are on there, I, I see them being good. I see them being effective. But I still think, it, it, you know, they're not going to go out and score 35, 40 points against that defense from Syracuse. I just don't see it happening. How about you, Dan Lyons? At least on the offensive side, do you see, do you see BC looking better, worse against Syracuse? Um, obviously, it is a big game. The 
best rivalry in the Northeast. Orange Eagle points abound. Plenty of plenty of things at stake. Um, it's hard to tell because last year was such a strange game for for both teams. I think. Um, I assume. Well, I at least I optimistically assume that. Um, the the Syracuse offense that we saw against BC will be more of what we see this season uh, from the Orange, when at that time it really wasn't. But on the other hand, BC, you know, almost pulled that game out going completely against the grain of what they had done all year. Um, obviously, Andre Williams uh, left the game early and wasn't all that effective when he was in the game. And uh, Chase Reddit kind of lit us up because our secondary couldn't stop anyone at that point. Um so it, it really depends. Uh, as we said before, Tyler Murphy's a huge uh, question mark, both for his running and his throwing. But we also don't know um, about how well Syracuse will stop the run. We assume it'll be good because it has been for a couple of years now. But with Marquis Sproul gone and Jay Bromley gone, it's going to be a you know it's at least a valid question. Although I I do like the players that we're plugging in for them. But if BC goes back to that power running game. Um, you know, Syracuse's interior defense might be at least a little more exploitable than they were last year. Or if Tyler Murphy's a, a major upgrade from Chase Reddick, um, which would be hard to do, consider uh, at least for the Syracuse game, because Reddick was so good in that one game. Um, and the Syracuse defensive backfield is still a, a major issue, which it's probably the biggest question mark on the defense. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to tell, because last year's game was kind of weird, considering where both teams were at the time. Um, but you know, it should be an interesting matchup at least. And then also, obviously, the Dome got pretty loud that game last year, and that was at least a decent advantage. Uh, I was lucky enough to be in the building, and it was a one of the better atmospheres once the once Hunt kind of got the team back in it. So obviously, B, it flips this year, and BC will have uh, the home field advantage on Thanksgiving weekend. So it's it's going to be uh, different, I, I think. I don't I don't expect the same high scoring. Uh, you know, back and forth game like we saw last year, because those that game didn't really make all that much sense considering how those two teams were. I would agree in that sense. Uh, so I guess uh, this is about halftime. So Dan Rubin, if uh, if Brian informed you, this is the part of the podcast where we just sit around and talk about beer for like ten minutes. I am all for this type of discussion, especially after what I did to myself this past weekend. I would challenge I might have done worse, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess we'll let the new guy go first. Uh, what have you been drinking this past week? I mean, obviously not not just relegated to beer, though. I know Dan and Lyons and I usually do skew beer. <laughs> I um well my th- thanks to my brother I had a belly full of Yingling Light this weekend which uh which is it made me feel not as bad that I was drinking twice the volume for whatever reason it's like it it tastes the same as a regular Yingling but uh I mean that's straight out the case straight out the straight out the packy as we'd say up here but uh, between that for my uh, my fiance actually had something that I tried and it was the first time I'd ever seen this it was a white wine juice box. It was the greatest thing for her I'd ever seen, and it made me feel not so bad for the amount of beer I was drinking all weekend. I've heard about those. I know that I read an article like a couple months ago 
where like the wine industry is actually changing, basically changing their packaging and the way they distribute wine because of how our generation drinks it so casually. Hey, I was uh, I was up a I was up at a winery on uh, on Friday afternoon, and they uh, they were there were a lot of midday casual wine drinkers up there that were about that were in our age bracket. It was a beautiful thing. Well, I have to say, I now want to go check out a wine juice box. <laughs> Well, the, well the, other thing I, the other thing I had, which, uh, which, which I'll throw out there, was uh, so, so out here on Cape Cod, there's a couple of vineyards. I mean, there's nothing that you'll get, really. I mean, I, the, the upstate New York vineyards or anything like that, it's, it's not going to be along those lines. Uh, but they did their old first batch of barrel of rum um, or distillery, and it was the first one ever, and the winery's been in business for, like, 30 years. And uh, I had so I ended up having like the very first batch ever out of a out of a still of spiced rum, which uh, which was fantastic. Actually, that does sound really good. I kind of want to look into that, man. It's uh, it was it was literally the first one out the still, and it was one of those. I'm not sure if I should drink out of this bottle or not because I'm going to because I, I feel like I should save it for a special occasion. And then I remember, and I was like, "Well, six o'clock is a special occasion." I'll, I think. <laughs> Dan, I think you would fit in just fine over at Syracuse Park. <laughs> I've been up there a couple times, so uh, I, I, everybody I met up there, I've always seemed to fit in just fine. <laughs> All right, Dan Lyons, how about you? You know, you uh, you did your own little uh, brewery touring this weekend. Uh, I did. Uh, I've had a decent amount of different things um, to to drink this week as opposed to the last couple where I've been pretty lame on my beer excursions, but I'll kind of limit it to my uh, touring. Um, I went up to Two Roads Brewery in Stratford, Connecticut, probably one of the two best Connecticut breweries along with New England, um, but New England's harder to actually go to. I don't know if they even have like an open case pub, but uh, Two Roads does. Um, they do an awesome, like, hour-long tour where you get, like, five beers for five bucks. Uh, not full ones, but m- more than enough to, to get a feel for them, at least. Uh, and then they, they're a fairly new brewery. They opened in 2012, but they have a really nice assortment of, of beers at this point. Um, I had their their Hefeweizen is very good, uh, No Limits Hefeweizen. Um, they have an awesome white IPA, which I ended up buying uh, a growler of and finishing it on Memorial Day weekend very quickly, um, called the Honey Spot Road White IPA. Uh, they have a good Saison. They have a really nice double IPA, which is one of their kind of signatures. I think the first beer they brewed was the double IPA. Um, they they just do – I haven't had anything from them that's, like, mind-blowing, but I haven't had anything from them that's anything less than very good. So if you can find two roads, I'm not sure exactly how wide the distribution is at this point, but I know they're expanding. Um, you can find it pretty much anywhere in Connecticut, but I'm sure you can find it up uh, throughout New England and probably into New York as well. Um, so I definitely recommend anything from them uh, as a you know, person from Connecticut who's fairly proud of our brewing prowess here. Um, and I'm hoping to do a few more of these in the area. Uh, I definitely want to see if I can go check out New England, although I was looking on their website and I'm not sure how – open they are. I know you can schedule tours, but I don't know if it's just a walk-in thing. And then I also want to get out to uh, Captain Lawrence in, in Elmsford, New York soon. So 
but definitely recommend Two Roads, and you can kind of check out my Untapped thing and see all the different uh, beers I drank this weekend. Uh, spoiler alert, it was probably too many, but uh, we had a good time, and uh, definitely be heading back there to fill my growler back up. I would challenge your call on too many, though, Dan. Untapped told me I drank like 35 different beers over the weekend, so... <laughs> <laughs> For those who, were, <laughs> those who were not aware, uh, the blog's resident alcoholic uh, was in Colorado this past week and uh, and really made the most of my time in one of America's great brewing states. Um, pretty much just walked around with a list of with a list of beers that I needed to try, along with uh, you know a trip up to New Belgium. Uh, brewing company, one of the uh, country's biggest craft brewers, uh, located up in Fort Collins, uh, Colorado. Pretty much the greatest tour I've ever been on. It's free, but you had to schedule it like two months in advance. Um, 90-minute tour, you get six four-ounce tasters, um, and again, all free. Pretty much like best day ever. Um, and also, being up that high, uh, you actually feel the effects of alcohol more, so it, it was a fun little uh, fun little game of chance the, the entire weekend as you as you drink what you normally would, but feel definitely more affected by it. Yeah, some of the uh, some of the other beers I was drinking that most of which don't get to most of the listeners as per usual. Sorry again. Um, sorry, I'm just rolling down this thing. Uh, well, I did have a, I had, everyone, most people can find Fat Tire from New Belgium. Um, I did get to have a Fat Tire that was bottled like two hours before I drank it, and that was the best Fat Tire I've ever had, pretty much hands down. Um, I got to try the new uh, Lafoli from uh, their, like, List of Fates uh, Sour Series uh, from New Belgium. Uh, that was absolutely delicious, and again, uh, very fresh. I'm just rolling through these. Um, had an Imperial IPA from Upslope Brewing. Um, that's also over in Colorado. Uh, had Tartare from Bear Republic, which is a uh, Berliner Weiss. So like a slight, slightly sour Belgian. Uh, it was really enjoyable. A nice start to the evening, you know, instead of, you know, plowing right into, uh, you know, heavy double IPAs. I also had a Colorojo from Wincoop Brewing Company. Uh, they have a really cool tap room uh, right in downtown Denver that uh, my buddies and I all got to check out. And also um, Odell Brewing, their, their uh, IPA, absolutely delicious. Um, not necessarily as hoppy as a lot of the things we have um, down here in Southern California, but at the same time, it felt you know like it had to get a nice balance of uh, of maltiness, hoppiness, and really kind of to me at least, you know, didn't drink um, that heavily. I think it was only like a 7.4% ABV. So we definitely recommend a ton of those, and I'm not going to sit here and obnoxiously list out everything I drank. But (laughs) you can go on, like as Dan mentioned, go on Untapped, and you'll find a very lengthy list of things that uh, I partook in during my uh, five-day stay over in Colorado. So, yeah, now... uh, and I guess we'll head to the defense. So I think, I mean, we don't really start with defensive line, but 
Um, in the case of D.C., I think we need to start at the linebacker spot. Um, you know, Dan Rubin's linebacker has been uh, usually, usually critical um, to D.C., um, even when they were, you know, suffering through the uh, spaz years. They, uh, I think they were churning out quality linebackers. Um, well, you know, what does the linebacking core look like this year? Do you think it's once again going to be the focal point of the defense, or are we starting to see more of any balanced defensive effort overall from the Eagles? Well, I think uh, any time that you're looking at the BC defense, it's going to start with the with the linebacking core just based off of its history. Uh, and obviously, you guys know that from when we played when we played up there in the old non-league game. Uh, you know, when you when you have guys like Keekley and you have guys like like Herzlick on that, it, you know, there, there is going to be attention on on their role in pass coverage and, and getting not necessarily pressure on the quarterback, but knowing how to hawk to the ball, no matter where that is, whether it's uh, jamming a receiver at the line or looking at a running back to stop a gain uh, short of a short of a first down or anything like that. Last year, BC had a lot of tools at linebacker. They had kept Pierre Lewis. Uh, Steele DeVito was underrated and overrated at the same time. He was underrated in the sense that he always seemed to be able to be in the right spot, but he was overrated because he was prone to having a guy just run right by him if he choked up too far on the run. Um, so he was one of those guys who had high tackle numbers but always seemed to be in the, the, the wrong place at the wrong time in addition to being in the right place at the right time. Um, but, you know, the, Stephen Daniels is back. He's going to be the, really the heart and soul there's a guy who started the season and my, my poor father who's been going to BC games for 20, 25 years turns to me and says, God, this guy's terrible. And by the end of the season, Steven Daniels had turned into one of, uh, one of the best linebackers in coverage that, that we'd seen, in, you know, short of being Herzlick or, or any of those guys. You know, he was just, he was, he was good. He knew when to timely blitz. He knew how to cover. He knew how to get after a running back. He was just really good. So he is solid. So he's going to be back this year. And that's going to be huge. But you lose Kevin Pierre-Lewis. And, and KPL is, you know, he's going to be a great special team third down linebacker for, you know, one of those good, solid, you know, middle of bottom of the roster guys for a team like Seattle who, who picked him up. And, you know, he's not going to be probably a, an every down linebacker, but he's got the tools to make plays and he's got the smarts to make plays. That said, those are holes that you have to be able to fill. And, you know, you, you look at the same way you looked at the offense and you said, you know, well, we're not really sure who's going to fill a couple of those holes, but at least they've got somebody to build around. And, you know, the offense has, has the Tyler Murphy to build around, the quarterback, and the defense and the linebacking is going to have Stephen Daniels in the middle to, to build around. So that's a positive. That's something to go off of. And, uh, you know, you hope that with, with a solid defensive line, you know, those guys in solid cornerbacks, you'll be able to at least uh, patchwork over some of those holes that the linebackers are going to experience in the beginning. And, Dan, what I noticed most when I was, uh, you know, looking through the roster and the depth chart and everything is that everyone seemed to um, to fall in the, the typical BC linebacker mold, like, you know, slightly undersized, but based on, you know, a lot of speed, and there's some real great, like, heart character guys. Um, so I guess to me the guy that stood out the most was, was Sean Dugan. Um, you know, he, he's a little bit bigger than the average um, DC linebacker. He's 6'4", 244. Um, but admittedly, like, I don't have a ton. I don't have a ton of insight on him. 
do you see him as potentially a, as a, one of maybe your breakout defenders this year, or do you really see him as just kind of serving a secondary role? Well, you, you hope he's a, he's a breakout guy. I have a feeling that, you know, he'll be playing outside much like Harzlik did, much like DeVito did, and you'll see him, you know, 6'4", be able to, to get after it and, and play a little hair on fire. Um, the scouting report on him, you hope he can have, come in with the speed that's necessary to play in the Don Brown defense. Uh, and, you, and you kind of expect that he will. Uh, you expect that he'll play, be a good, solid addition. You expect with the size. I know Harzlik was a big guy. Um, you know, to at least just come in and, again, you're not necessarily looking for him to, to be a, an ACC Defensive Player of the Year. You're not looking for him to, to be a, even a second-team all-conference guy. You're just looking for him to fill the role that you're going to need him to, to be able to cover maybe a slot tight end or an H-back or a slot receiver that's coming over the middle, and at the same time be able to, to spy out on a blitz and say, all right, if they hand off here, off to your side, kill the running back. Or if the guy, if the quarterback is back there, get around the edge and get after him and, you know, tackle him solid, wrap him up, make sure he can't get away from you. And if you can provide a couple of those big style plays, you know, jam the guy at the line and get in his face and get a little, get physical and then sprinkle it in with the right plays, then ultimately you'll find the guy that can fit the role. And I think that's the key to anybody who gets plugged into the BC defense is that, you look for the guy who's going to fill that role that you're looking for, and you know he is a guy that I think can fill that. Well, it'd be interesting to see how it actually plays out. We thought Daniels was going to be terrible, and, and here he is, you know, being a, a good, solid linebacker. Now that's some great insight, Dan. Uh, you know, the, 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 I think that this is a real benefit compared to last year. Of you know, while, while Dan Lines and I could do, we we're trying to do all we could in terms of. Getting to the bottom of these teams, it's great to get, you know, a little insider info on maybe some of those, um, you know, less raved about, less talked about guys. Uh, Dan Lyons, any other um, questions you might have for Dan Rubin about this defense? Um, I'm interested to see how their secondary plays, um, like Syracuse last year, they tended to struggle, and, and I know they, I think they gave up like 26 touchdowns through the air and were limited to maybe nine interceptions. But um, unlike Syracuse, who loses a lot of the players who had issues last season to graduation, uh, BC brings, I think, pretty much their entire secondary back. So it'll kind of be an interesting comparison to see which train of thought of, you know, these guys all have another year under their belt versus the Syracuse, you know, hey, at least we got rid of, or, you know, not sound too mean about our own players, but, you know, the a little bit of addition by subtraction that we hope to see from the Syracuse secondary this year. So, um, it should go either way for for BC. It, you know, maybe those guys don't improve, or or another year is all they really needed to become a decent unit. Um, I, I think there is reason to be optimistic, though, because college football players are so prone to making leaps from year to year, um, and it just didn't really happen with some of the Syracuse guys last year. But if they can shore up that secondary, I mean, that'll that'll be a pretty good defense across the board, even with what they lost. Yeah, I mean, I think the the BC the B from the BC side, the secondary is definitely a strength. Uh, you got guys like Sean Sylvia who's going to be playing safety, and, and he's got the potential to be a big hitter. But I, I think when you look at our at our secondary, you get guys like you know Manny Espria, who uh, you know was was the highly touted local product who stayed and went to BC, uh, had very much the pedigree to go to BC and be good. 
you know, it, and then after the first couple of years, you're looking saying, well, well, God, what happened to Manny? Manny's not so great. And then last year, Manny turned into a, a good lockdown corner. He was a guy who could go one-on-one against the, against the second uh, receiver and shut him down. And, and I think Manny's the guy who makes the jump, like you said, that jump year to year. He steps in and turns into a lockdown number one defensive back. Uh, you know, he started to show flashes of that, but he was prone to falling down or turning around. I, I think having spent you know the last five games as the number one defensive back with a freshman on the other side, I think he's a guy who uh, who makes that jump. And I think when you look at the at anybody's secondary, and Syracuse included, you'll definitely see a guy that you look at and be like, oh, I can't wait to see him if he makes that jump this year. Awesome. Uh, I guess now we uh, we get to uh, at least me and Dan Lyons' favorite part of the program, where other than the beer talk, where we go down the schedule, pick wins and losses, and eventually try to throw shade on Virginia in their two and ten season that they're going to repeat again this year. Word of caution, Dan. Last year, Dan Lyons and I picked within like a game or two most of these teams, especially the overrated ones. So. These are ironclad, at least in our at least in our opinion. You can hold it. You can hold this against me when I in in November if I'm if I'm on my honeymoon and I come back and uh, and I'm within and I'm way off. You can hold this against me. Fall wedding, daring. Oh yeah, I uh, the the BC schedule came out and I was frightened that I was going to miss a home game. Turns out that I'm still trying to convince my my other half that uh, honeymoon in Tallahassee is a good idea. I know I just went with the no fall weddings, no way in hell. So we went with July. (laughs) (laughs) But July in Southern California, you know, it's kind of a... I mean, not like there's any really bad time of year around here, but... No. July's not a tough sell in Southern California. (laughs) And so I guess uh, just start of week one. Uh, at UMass, this game is going to be a joke <laughs> because every game involving UMass is. Uh, I got to win. Dan Lyons, you? Um, I don't know. UMass is a pretty tough uh, potential Sun Belt team. So, I mean, the Sun Belt is is uh, pretty. Never mind. Uh, yeah, this will be a blowout. <laughs> what a, UMass really doesn't even need to be playing football anymore. I don't know what the like. If you can't at least somewhat be competitive, like five wins a year in the MAC after like three seasons, just go back to one double A. You know, who cares? Are 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 their fans really gonna be that upset? <laughs> just just give it up. You're implying you're <laughs> implying that they have fans. That's true. Uh, <laughs> their hypothetical fans uh, may you know it, it'll be a bummer for them. But the the, I... the fact that they're even flirting with the Sun Belt is. The the sneaky funniest college football story of the year. I flat out hate UMass. That is, uh, I have no problem admitting that. I see the rivalry with Syracuse. I respect Syracuse. I like, I you know, I have friends who went to Syracuse. I know the programs. I, I respect Syracuse a great much. I UMass when they announced they were going to jump, there were a couple of radio stations that are like, oh, UMass is bigger and get the funding. They get the public school. They don't have the BC academic requirements. The coach actually said, uh, Molnar said in his press conference, buy in now because we're going to be a rising stock and we're going to be a whole Massachusetts thing. They forgot that there's a team in the ACC 
in the biggest city in the state. So I am going to go ahead and say, shameless prediction, that this not only is a is, – it's obviously going to be a BC win, but if BC doesn't put up 50 in this game, I'm going to be disappointed. Plus, I think it's my bachelor party weekend, so that's just going to be even better. All right. So, so far, 1-0 across the board. Um, Friday, September 5th against Pitt uh, in Chestnut Hill. This one, this one intrigues me. Um, because honestly, I, I think, I think, uh, Pitt, I think Pitt loses, loses a little, but the people they do lose, um, are very important. Um, you know, projected first rounder turned into hardly drafted Todd Savage. Um, you know, Aaron Donald, who, um, obviously well, had a fantastic season at defensive tackle last year. Um, but at the same time, I think Pitt has really recruited very well at the skill positions lately. Um, I think they had a lot of depth, especially at linebacker. Uh, this one's gonna this one's gonna be nationally televised, uh, surprisingly. And I'm gonna have to go with Pitt only because I think there's more proven commodities right now um, for them at you know at those key positions. Uh, I don't think it's gonna be by much, and this could obviously change plenty if there's some injuries and uh, the summer practices heat up. But I'm going to go with Pitt, though, though by very, very little. Uh, Dan Lyons? Uh, this is probably the hardest one for me to predict, at least just looking at the schedule for the first time. Um, for a lot of the same reasons you said, I, I'm erring towards Pitt, and I'll take them. I don't feel great about it. Um but I feel like Pitt just has a little more going for them. And, and it's, you know, early in the season um, for both teams. Uh, I think Wojtek um, will be decent and not nearly the drop-off from uh, hailed NFL uh, draft combine superstar Tom Savage. Um, and Pitt has a very nice running game coming back. I think it will be a close one either way, and I could see it going either way, but I'll, I'll take Pitt uh with my pointless late May prediction here. I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with BC in this game simply because I have, uh, I have a good vibes about the, uh, about the defense against the Pittsburgh offense. I feel like the, uh, I feel like the BC defense, you know, you look at it with the pit running game coming back, but I think that the BC defense can do enough to, to blitz a safety or, or send a guy like Daniels after the running back. Uh, and you'll see the, the offense will show up eventually. I have a feeling that it's going to be a low-scoring game. Um, plus, I, I like the Friday night national televised game. I know a lot of people sometimes say, I don't, I don't like being on Friday night. I'd rather be on Saturday night. But I like the idea. I like the premise. I, it's the second year they've done it at BC. They hosted Wake last year and beat them there. So, I'm gonna go with BC in that one, but uh, it'll be kind of you'll get it'll be one of those optimistic games for a BC fan this year. Yeah, I gotta say, as someone who I mean, our team definitely benefits from Friday night games for some weird reason. Um, while we play terribly uh, during noon kickoffs, so for me, um, I actually love Friday night games. And Dan Lyons, what are we something like five and one on Friday nights in the last like two or three years? Five and one, or you, I think that's the, that's about right. But uh, they're also like some of the biggest games that we've had 
in the last couple of years. Um, I believe the, the the win over West Virginia, where we blew them out, uh, awful love it, was definitely a Friday night. Um, I think I want to say the Louisville game where we out where Nassib, uh had that you know somehow outshot Teddy Bridgewater was also a Friday night, but I could be wrong. That one was a Saturday, so the absolute demolition derby of UConn was it was a Friday. That was a Friday night. Uh, that was a good time. I wasn't there, unfortunately, because it was a Friday, and it's tough to always get up there for a Friday night game. But that was probably one of the most fun games I've watched just from a sheer um, Schadenfreude uh, point of view, um, because beating UConn things, in things is, is a blast, as I'm sure Boston College fans can – relate at least with the notion um but yeah I, i'd say uh I'm, I'm all for the friday night games as long as they're not like half the schedule but one, one a year or even maybe two if they're two good ones doesn't bother me also speaking of friday night games i still want to know why bc syracuse is not a friday night game after thanksgiving every year yeah that'd be i mean that'd be cool um, although Saturday gives, gives, an, gives an extra day to get up from, from Thanksgiving. Um, but either way, I mean, I, it's just like having the national spotlight. Even if it means not being a part of Saturday college football, then I'd get an extra slot of college, Saturday college football to watch unencumbered by my team playing. Also, fair point. Uh, week three on eight days rest. Uh, BC hosts USC. Um, last year's didn't go too well. I think this year's USC team is better than last year's. Um, so with that in mind, I'm going Trojans. And I'm sorry, Dan Rubin, this is not going to be a close game. But I feel like BC fans are realistic enough to agree with me there. I I remember a game when I was in high school against the number one team in the state. We had a pep rally. We got all jacked up for the game, and it was 42 to nothing at halftime. We were losing. So you paint your face, you paint your body. I'm not even going to lie on this one. This could get – I don't think it's going to be 42 to 7. I'm really hoping we get a cold spell, though, and those guys get, get cold that weekend. But uh, I, it, I have a feeling it will be one of those, like, 35-17 games where you're kind of in it, but you're never really in it. And you're like, well, if we can get a stop here, we'll win. We'll be able to go go back and get a score, and then then it's only a three point game. But you never get that stop against that team, and I don't see that happening. And, and so I I don't think it's going to be a game they're ever really fully out of. But it's never it's not a game they're never really going to be fully in either. Dan Lyons, yourself. Um, what Dan just described kind of reminds me a lot of the, the Syracuse-USC game, more more the one at MetLife a couple of years ago than the one at USC. Um, I don't see BC winning it. I just think USC has too much talent, although I'm not the biggest fan of um, Steve Sartesian as a coach. Um, I think just as a very short tangent, I think Washington made a major upgrade by losing him and replacing him with uh, who they who they got. They had the Boise State coach, uh yeah, um, this name is slipping my mind. But um, if BC puts together a nice performance, kind of like Syracuse did at MetLife, where it was definitely closer than the score and uh, it wasn't 
you know, it was it was at least competitive. You know, that could be a good sign for BC going forward this season. Um, unfortunately for Syracuse, USC kind of crashed and burned that year, and it made it seem a little less impressive. But it still was kind of a sign of things to come and show that the team could uh, compete, and that was the best Syracuse team we've had in, you know, since the at least middle of or the mid to late uh, Paul Pasqualoni years. So uh, I don't see BC um, winning this game, but I don't know how USC is going to be right off the bat with Sarkeesian, so I wouldn't be too surprised if they hung tight, hung tight with it. All right. Uh, moving on to Maine, I think we can skip this one. Wins all around. Seems uh yeah, if they lose that game, if they lose that game, I'm gonna go jump off the Tobin Bridge. You know, don't sleep on those uh, those FCS teams. Syracuse uh, played with fire <laughs> for several years <laughs> against those guys. We've yet to lose, though, and that's the most important part here. And so, Colorado State. Um, if they were headed out to Colorado, I would be tempted to pick the Rams. I think the Rams are actually really well coached. Um, I think that they, they're they kind of on the rebound as a program. Um, I know uh, Joel McElwain, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he's the coach at Alabama, now he's over at Colorado State. Uh, we definitely helped him change things for the Rams. Uh, you can see, like when I was out there last week, it seemed like there was already a lot of excitement about Rams football, which was, again, surprising. So, uh, if that's any indication, um, I think the Rams will be a much better opponent than they've been in the past. But that said, um, I, I just think BC is still on better footing. Uh, I, I think that Colorado State's a little too erratic. Uh, and, and I'm going Eagles on this one. Dan Lyons? Sorry, I was on mute. Um, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Um, I was just reading... Uh, Bill Connolly's Colorado State preview. Um, he's pretty bullish on them. He thinks they could win eight or nine games. Um, at, at the very least, they've had a bunch of games, uh, not a bunch, but they've played Alabama the last few years, I believe. And so they won't be intimidated by going up against a, a BCS level program like BC for sure. Uh, but they do have a, a couple bid holes they have to fill. And when when in doubt, I'm I'm gonna lean towards the ACC team over the Mountain West team. So I'll take BC, but it, I think that will be a good game. That's one of those games you don't like to have when you're signing a, a, a series against a mid, uh, not mid-major, but lower conference um, opponent because it is definitely a team that can do, go into to, uh, to Boston and win that game. But I'll take BC. I'll be uh, confident for the Eagles there. Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to put this one on the back of the U.S. of the USC game and say, you know, they are uh, Colorado State will hang tough, but I think BC will pull away at the end. I don't think that's going to be a game that you're going to feel confident in the win and say, well, they really dominated that game. But he's still going to he's still going to get wins like that. And I think uh, I put this game out a couple of years from now. I I would not want to play Colorado State, so I'm uh, I'm glad we're playing them uh, before they as they're just starting their rise, not before they're actually in it. It's a smart call. I, I I know we said the same thing as Syracuse fans about Missouri. Um, 
we happen to catch the Tigers on like their one down year in the past, like in like the entire Gary Pinkle era, or at least like in recent times. Um, and they were much much happier to face them uh, when they went five and seven in 2012 versus when they made the SEC championship game in 2013. <laughs> uh, moving on, uh, open date. I like your chances there. Uh, then at <laughs> NC State. <laughs> <laughs> Never know. The fighting buys. They are they are a tough opponent. Yeah, headed to state. Um people I mean since we joined ACC it seems like a lot of people talk about state being a tough place to play and I mean I, I remember watching the upset um of Florida State, but I don't really think that had anything to do with, with the crowd and, and you know, uh, Dan Rubin you can Tell me if I'm wrong here. I just I'm not all that impressed by the state of the state of Wolfpack football um, under uh, Dave Darn. Uh, are you in any way, shape, or form? No, I. You know, I. I'm also a Tom O'Brien guy. I mean, when he was up here and he left for NC State, I was a big fan of what he was doing. I knew when he was leaving that he was leaving for the for the the lower academic requirements and the funding issues and. You know, and the fact that that they gave him the the bigger pay raise. I also knew that he was never going to get them to the to the next level because he wasn't a coach that could do that with teams. I think they regressed after him. Now, ultimately, I think they're regressing. I still think they're regressing. Uh, I don't like the state of NC State football right now. They're I I think this year they're one of those teams where they could be the fourth best team in their own state in the ACC without even blinking twice. Lions, I or so far two two giving the nod to BC. Are you uh, are you gonna make it a clean sweep? Um, yeah, I I think NC State will be improved this year. I think that as we said last year, when we expected Doran's first year to be rough, and it was. Um, I was always you know had the caveat that I thought that he was a good hire and that he would eventually have success there, but I don't think he's quite turned over that roster to the point where. He's going to get them rolling quite yet, and while I think they'll be improved and probably win a couple more games than they did last year, uh, I don't think I think BC is on stronger footing, uh, and Adazio just is a little ahead of where Doran was uh, or is. So I'll take BC um, again. It might be a close one, uh, depending on how NC State adjusts. They're also going to have a transfer quarterback, most likely start for them, which should make all the difference. But I just. I'm not sold on their overall roster yet, and I think BC has a little more coming back. Agreed, agreed. Uh, Clemson. Despite a lot of, um, like, obviously people leaving Boyd and Watkins in particular, um, the Tigers still seem like they're fully locked and loaded, and they're going to win, you know, nine to ten games. So, again, no offense to the Eagles, but I do think that BC and Syracuse are both kind of, you know, still, still only about halfway up the mountain in terms of in terms of competing with with, with the state of you know FSU and Clemson's programs right now. Uh, so, unfortunately, uh, despite the fact that it's a home game and despite whatever that stupid rivalry you guys decided to create with them, um, I, I think I think it's a Tigers win. How about you, Dan Rubin? Yeah, I'm, I'm taking Clemson in that game, and that leather helmet is a thing of beauty. But uh, 
it's not as cute as the Orange Eagle trophy, but you know what? It's uh, it's uh, it, it, it's hey, you're gonna play for the leather helmet. But they, uh, you know, here's my thing about Clemson. They played them tight last year, BC. They were in that game. Andre Williams pancaked the entire Clemson defense when they had nine, ten guys in the box. And that was a game that you looked at Chase Reddick and you're like, you're going to screw this up somehow, and he did. Um, you, you just had, like, you're just waiting for it, and the other shoot dropped. You're not going to catch Clemson every year like that. And I think Clemson looked past BC, and I think they looked at him as a trap game. That was a classic trap game. I just don't see that happening this year. You're not going to trap a team a second year in a row. And more importantly, uh, I just don't see a Clemson team that's going to be competing for the ACC title, even if, you, even if you're able to catch them in a trap game, you're not winning. That's, that's still, I think, the key. I'm taking Clemson. Dan Lyons, you ready to uh, troll our favorite, uh, favorite ACC fan base? <laughs> Not this week, um, as much as I'd like to. Uh, by the way, did you see the, the Syracuse.com? Once again, we've had a Clemson fan chime in about something completely random for no reason. <laughs> it's, the same, it's the same guy. <laughs> That's the problem. It's the same guy. They call all the time. Go read your own papers. They have papers down there. I've seen them. Um, oh, a few, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, I don't know how well-written or anything they are. I don't know if they contain actual information, but I assume they have papers. Um, I don't think BC is going to be Clemson this year. I think people are a little bullish on Clemson um, just because it's Clemson, and I think they're, you know, they they could be fine this year, but I could also see them coming way back to the pack. Um, it's always tough when you have a guy coming in to start like Cole Stout when he hasn't started his whole career, although, you know, he was behind Taj Boyd, so it wasn't, you know, necessarily his fault. It doesn't mean he's not good. But I think there's more question marks with Clemson than people acknowledge. But that being said, I think that defense is going to be pretty, pretty uh, one of the better units in the in the ACC as a whole. Um, and it'll definitely take a step up from last year. And they'll probably have just too much going on for, for BC to win. But, you know, BC almost beat them last year. And, and I think uh, Clemson probably takes a bigger drop than they did. So anything can happen with the uh, in ACC football, as we've come to know. But I wouldn't bet on it. That's definitely a good call, Dan. I know we'll get to uh, Clemson next week, uh, definitely talking about that defense, which uh, is going to be a fun role reversal for a team that, that you know two years ago couldn't couldn't stop a West Virginia team that Syracuse beat on a Friday night from scoring 70 against them to now potentially, at least to me, having one of the top 15 defenses in the country. Uh, just a really wacky uh, change for, for a program you really don't see every day. But, again, topic for next week. Uh, next, at Wake. Um, Wake is another team that loses a lot, and they didn't have much to begin with. So I know we're kind of speeding these up a little bit just because I know it's getting a little late on your guys' end. Um I think Wake loses too much. I think when you install a new coach, uh, more often than not, there's going to be uh, a little bit of a ramp. And, you know, I, I just think Wake has Wake is too much of a program right now that they need to kind of fix. I mean, they've been recruiting terribly for a few years now. Um, the, the, you know, the, the, the tank is pretty much empty. Um, it's not the same thing that Syracuse and BC dealt with last year of, of guys who had talent were brought in. Like, I mean, Wake has really struggled 
Um, and, and while I think that they can rebound eventually, um, never back to what happened in 2006. That was an anomaly that we'll never see again. But um, beyond that, I, I do think that this is a program that can, that can be on the rise. It's just not this year with, with so many pieces gone. So BC it is. Um, I feel pretty comfortable uh, saying that Wake will be the worst team in the ACC this year, and I feel bad doing it because I do have, you know, some Wake Forest people in my family, or one Wake Forest person. Um, but they've just really lost a lot, and the coaching change, which is probably a necessity at this point. Um, like I said about NC State last year, I think it'll overall be a good thing for them, but. I don't see it working out immediately, and uh, I think they're in for a rough season, much like NC State went through last year. I'm going to say that Wake actually, uh, and I'm, I'm going to be different just because I, I still think BC is going to win, but I have a feeling the new coaching staff, I have, I have good vibes about what a new coach can do if the players buy in with the right schedule. Uh, I don't know if he's at a bad time, which would always be bad for BC, especially when you're coming off a couple of tough games. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. I think Wake will be improved. I don't think BC loses, but I think Wake will be improved. All right. Different perspective. Definitely. The reason why I say that is because I said BC was going to be terrible last year, and look what happened there. I think we had BC around like four and eight last year, which, I mean, in hindsight, you know, not really all that accurate. But you know, sometimes sometimes teams surprise. I mean, everyone pretty much had us at four and eight last year, and, and we managed to bounce back. So, I mean, you, you never really know. I think, like I said, I I do think that BC and Syracuse are a little bit more in the tank. But you know, injuries, ball bounces one way or the other. You never really know what happens and. And maybe Wake does surprise. I mean, it seems like the ACC every season has one team that, that does do a little bit more than expect for them. Moving on to Virginia Tech. Uh, this is a team that I'm sick and tired of, and that's coming from someone who's only been in the ACC for 12 months. I can only imagine that DC fans are also sick of the Hokies. Um, I don't really know what the hell Tech's going to do on offense. Um I've been saying that for a couple of years now. I don't, I don't really think they have an offense anymore. Um, I think that, you know, it doesn't seem like Beamer Ball is the same magic it, it once supposedly did. Uh, but that said, I, I do think the Tech's counted enough on defense, um, as always, to, to, to get themselves eight wins on the board, and I think that this one is one of them. Though, again, not by much. Um, I, I'm taking the Hokies because Blacksburg is, is a – the terrifying place to play for 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 many teams. I'm I'm going to take Virginia Tech too, but I, I hate Virginia Tech fans at times. They can be. There has never been a time that Virginia Tech has played Boston College where I haven't almost ended up in a fight in the stands. Um, they're just. They're, I I shouldn't say I hate them. I just I, I know there's a lot of positive fans. I just haven't met one of them yet. Uh, so I'm taking Virginia Tech, and I'm going to go probably take a shower for having picked them. Uh, I have no idea why I'm about to do this, because I haven't looked at Virginia Tech yet um, at all, because it's not August yet. But 
for whatever reason, I just have a feeling that they're going to be very boring and mediocre this season um, based on, again, very little evidence at this point. And I can always change this prediction as, as we tend to do once we get to the Virginia Tech podcast. But I'm going to take BC to win this uh, and get their sixth win. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't have to back that up. Just going to say it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's totally fair. Uh, you know, like I said, Virginia Tech is not going to have much of an offense. If, if you're worried about how you're going to replace Logan Thomas, it's usually not a good sign for, for for your offense, more because Logan Thomas would seem to be easily replaceable um, <laughs> based on how he's performed the last two seasons. Um, this is a, a reminder that Logan Thomas, unless I'm completely misremembering how the NFL draft went, went before A.J. McCarron, Aaron Murray, and uh, um, Zach Mettenberg last year. <laughs> yeah, Somehow. which is <laughs> insane. I, I would like to, to file several appeals uh, on behalf of every football fan who watched any amount of Logan Thomas football other than the 2011 season. Um, and, and I think you'll find that he's quite terrible. And I, I'm interested to see what happens to him at the pro level. So I, I do not wish any ill upon him. But, um, you said trying to cruise through these. Um, Louisville. Everyone seems pretty high on Louisville this year. Uh, I don't really know why because the coach is gone, the quarterback's gone. Um, they still have, you know, plenty of skill, but at the same time, like, they had a ton of guys drafted in the first few rounds with a lot of talent. And, and they're not going to be able to replace it all overnight. Um, that said, I, I think just – I think Louisville um, has just been recruiting better than D.C. Um, in recent years, and that's why I think that they have an ability to to move past the coaching change um, more quickly. I don't think this is going to be um, a walk in the park for the Cardinals by any means. I don't think any game really will be. I think that they're going to – they're going to find themselves to be, you know, probably like a seven and five, eight and four. They're not going to, you know, jump right back to the, to the, you know, ten, eleven win seasons that we were accustomed to for a few years. Um, I see Louisville winning, but not by much. Um, and I think a lot of that's also because it is a road game for the Cards. How about you, Dan Rubin? I'm going to go with Louisville. Just because I'm just gonna over the and I know nothing about them. I'm I, outside of that uh, guy from my high school once went to, oh, guy from my hometown, not my high school, once went there like six years ago. That's what I'm basing it on. I know nothing about Louisville, which is exactly why I'm going to take them. Um, I'm taking Louisville as well. I kind of like Clemson. Um, I think that people are more basing on their fears of Louisville coming in as this great uh, program off of the last couple seasons. Um, when they have a new coach, new quarterback, um, it's a very different team than what we've seen. Uh, and I think that that you know, seven or eight wins is probably a good, um, a good barometer for where they'll be this season. They should take a step back. Although if Bobby Petrino you know, keeps his head on straight, uh, I think eventually he'll have them get back to being contenders for BCS games, if not this year. But uh, still going to take Louisville in this game. Uh, there's just more there, I think. And their coach is, uh, I think, Strong's a better coach than Petrino, but I don't think it's 
a huge downgrade, and obviously Bobby can coach as well, and his Dotton team's pretty far, so I think Louisville will pull this one out. Florida State, uh, we can skip this one, right? Yep. Uh, I think we all know how that's going to go. Uh, and, and not just for BC. Although BC did, until Auburn, BC did set up a six fight um, on FSU. But I just think this year's team is different. I think FSU is still uh, fully stocked, and, and I do think FSU pulled the win there, especially down at Tallahassee, as, as we witnessed last year. Um, the uh, the reach reach of their uh, their beating really didn't uh, saw no bounds and, and if it wasn't for for them mercifully um, quitting the game to play hangman around the third quarter um, there, there's simply no way that that we would have come within 80 of of that SU. But the last the final game the one that we care about the most. Um, you know, six big orange eagle points on the board here. Um, obviously, some, some northeast pride. We, we we get to see you know if uh, whose logo is etched on the, the orange eagle trophy. Who is more hard nosed or more of a dude? Um, I'll go last. So Dan Rubin, uh, how do you see this one shaking out? You guys, you guys still pissed from last year? Is this, this going to be a redemption story? It appears Dan Rubin has dropped. Um, hopefully he calls back in, but Dan Lyons, you can uh, jump in first. Um, I'm thinking Syracuse. Uh, I just think we're kind of on an upward trajectory where BC probably won't be quite as good as they were last year, and those two teams are very close. I think Syracuse will be more clearly the better team this year. Um, even on the road, I think it'll be another close game, but probably not as heart-wrenchingly close as last season. Um, so I'm pretty comfortable taking Syracuse in this one. Uh, I think the two teams will be very competitive for the next you know, couple of years as long as Schaefer and Adazio are around. But this year I just think Schaefer has more established while Adazio is rebuilding a bit after a, a surprisingly good season last year. So taking Syracuse... Uh, Without too much hesitation. Yeah, it feels weird in a rivalry game to uh, to really buy in to your own team as much, but um, I, I do think we just have much more seasoned presence, um, especially on the offensive end, and I think that's going to result in um, what should be a really nice effort from SU, even on the road, um, hopefully capping off uh, what will be an eight-win season or so. Um, but we'll see. I, I definitely expect that. It. I think, you know, we have a lot of great games on the board, but I think that one in particular um, does stand out to me as, as at least the most fun. And the one that, I think, after one classic game to start, um, to start restart the rivalry anyway, I think we've, we've officially made this thing. It's, it's, there's officially bad blood. There's officially, um, you know, a certain amount of pageantry that goes into it. And I think that, while... That she looks better on paper. Uh, I think that does throw a wrench into anything you might be able to find on paper with these two teams. Um, I suppose we'll close it there. Because uh, we lost Dan Rubin for good, but we do thank Dan for joining in. Um, hopefully, we can connect with him in the comments uh, tomorrow. 
and uh, and chat about this some more. Um, so Dan, where where do you have DC based on uh based on wins and losses here? Um, probably mid to lower portion of uh of the division. Um, as I said, I think they're in a good spot. Um, this might be a little bit of a down year, but I don't think there's any reason to get too worried about the program um, because I think Adazi is a fine coach, as he showed last year, and I don't think they're going to need a 2,000-yard running back every season if they want to be competitive. I think they'll, they're in a, a decent spot where they should be a, a solid mid-level ACC program for a while, um, even if this year is a bit of a downgrade. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think uh, based on the wins and losses I put out there, I got them at five and seven. I'm gonna be surprised if they if they finish under five hundred, but but I suppose we'll see. Uh, you know, this is this is a fun you know opening salvo in our uh, in our previews. A little bit of snark this time around, but that all ends next week with Clemson. I'm totally just predicting Clemson at zero and twelve. And I'm going to try to do, and I know they're not going to listen to this podcast, so I'm going to try to do it with, like, as little um, obvious sarcasm as possible uh, and see what happens. Or I might not. I don't know. I'll see how I feel about it. Bravo, sir. I look forward to being trolled by the Clemson portion of the Internet um, ad nauseum next week. I also just want to say that Syracuse, uh, their jobs Twitter uh, just sent out a thing that says now hiring detective. So if you want to be the Syracuse University detective, which is apparently a position that needs being filled, um, please let us know how the interview process goes. Only questions: A. Do I get to wear a fun hat? Two. Do I get to carry around a magnifying glass? Three. Do I get a talking dog? And four. Do I get cool gadgets? Because if so, I am on board. I I feel like detective of Syracuse University would be a very fun job, but I don't know what the, what sleuthing there is to be done at SU. I can only imagine. Most of them are probably way too inappropriate for this podcast. Probably right. We should probably edit here. <laughs> yep. All right. So uh, so yeah, wrapping up here. Um, Thanks, as always, Dan, for joining. Yeah, no problem. Looking forward to getting back into this long haul towards football season. Agreed. Uh, you'll be able to catch me and Dan and various guests uh, here on the podcast for the rest of the summer. Um, and, again, we'll only be inviting some friends on while making sure that we save those special hour-long podcasts for Clemson um, just to pretty much throw shade the entire time. Um, so yeah thanks for listening please be sure to subscribe uh, rate the podcast on iTunes Uh, definitely helps us out over here Uh, for John and Dan this is John obviously Uh, thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next week at Jared we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299.
and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. <laughs> 